Hello and welcome to Desert Island Risks, a series of podcasts presented by myself, John Harney, and Jennifer Michelle from Aon. In this series, we'll be sharing the results from our recently published Global Pension Risk Survey. Within this series of podcasts, we'll be casting our various guests away to a desert island, but they'll have a copy of Aon's recently published Global Pension Risk Survey. And they'll also have endless time to think about their defined benefit pension schemes and the latest risks that they face. Today, we're going to be hearing all about member options and support. And I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Polly Cripps, who's an associate partner in our specialist member options team. So close your eyes and picture a lovely desert island. All you have is the Global Pension Risk Survey to read, your expertise in member options, and time to think about member options. It's gonna be great. But before we do that, maybe we should go back to basics. And when we talk about member options and support, Polly, what do we mean? Hi, John. Uh, good to be here. And um hope I've got some sun cream on the island as well, because uh, <laughs> quite fair skin. So uh, yeah, but t- to answer your question, um, what is member options and support? So, so by member options, we mean anywhere where a member of a defined benefit pension scheme gets some choice about how they take their benefits. So the most common options would be the option they have to transfer their benefits out of the pension scheme or the option to exchange some of their pension at retirement for a ca- tax-free cash lump sum. Um, And because pensions are really complicated um, and they have huge financial implications on an individual, uh, alongside member options, we normally talk about support as well. So examples of the support would be from having really, really clear communications, um, potentially pointing your members towards a, a preferred independent financial advisor or using things like online modelers to educate the members about the different options that they have. That's brilliant. And I'm glad I said member options and support at the beginning. So hopefully I get a bit of a tick there from you, from you, Polly. Um, And I suppose then bring us back onto the island. You've got the sun cream on, Polly. I probably have some on as well, if I was there as well, because I'm a bit fair skinned as well. What does the survey actually tell us, though, about the trends in all of that stuff that you've just mentioned there, the trends in how both schemes and employers, you know, what they're doing in this space? Um, Yes, so really nice to see in the survey that schemes are obviously taking uh, this really seriously or the support angle specifically really seriously. And there is a lot that's been happening in this space and a lot that schemes are planning. Um, Just to give an example of the trends in member support first, um, half of schemes are either already offering or planning to offer members access to a preferred IFA at retirement uh, within the next year or so. and that's not necessarily paying for the advice, but schemes going through some sort of selection process on behalf of their members, mainly to protect them from rogue IFAs. And they can also do things like negotiate better fees for their members than the members would get on the high street. So um, there's some good benefits there. In the member options space, we saw a clear trend in the survey away from uh, schemes carrying out member options exercises for liability management purposes, with now only 6% of schemes planning to carry them out uh, to reach their long-term target. And, and that's probably not really surprising in this higher guilt yield environment that we're, we're currently in. Um, 
But there's still an upward trend in schemes carrying out member options exercises. So we see 42% that have either carried out or are planning to carry out bulk transfer value communication exercises. And the main driver behind that is schemes, especially where these schemes are going to buy out, they're wanting to communicate to members how their options are going to change in the insurance regime post buyout um, compared to the pensions regime pre buyout. So specifically, transfer values can be a bit a lot lower in the insurance regime than, than they are at the moment. So really, um, those exercises now being driven by a, more of a governance angle. The survey showed in addition to schemes that are already sending deferred benefit statements to members, a further 40% of schemes planning to do that next year. And we expect a main driver behind that will be because of pensions dashboards on the way. Now, now they were delayed last year, they're back on the horizon. Um, but the information and pension figures that members are going to be able to see when they log on to dashboards is going to be very, very limited. So um, schemes are wanting to provide members with this additional explanation and support to kind of prevent confusion for members and prevent um, queries coming to already overstretched administrators. That sounds brilliant and it sounds like I suppose it's a busy busy time. You're, you're on the island now and hopefully you're embracing the break <laughs> and lying on the, the beach. Um, but as you lie there with your eyes shut, probably in the shade if you're anything like me rather than in the sun, and you're thinking back to, you know, the team experience that you have here at Aon, um, you know, what is that? What will kind of, I suppose, be your fondest memories <laughs> as you lie on the beach of, of what you guys are doing every day? Yeah, that's a good question, John. Um, yeah, really good memories of the team. It's a great team. Um, uh from you know works perspective there's lots of experience in the team so we've got 65 people in our team uh, spending from part to all of their time on member options work like um yeah sort of you know we we live and breathe this stuff um yeah and the team's been really busy over 2023 um one of the biggest things keeping us busy has been supporting clients with combining their gmp equalization solution with member options so specifically schemes doing gmp conversion and uh combining that with a pension increase exchange and combining the kind of regulatory thing that you've got to do with a story about member choice has been really positive. And as part of that, we communicated to over 25,000 members last year. So um, there will be a separate GMP equalization podcast that I think, I don't yeah. know if you're doing that one, John, or if Jennifer's doing that one. But, um, <laughs> but you're, you're, you're doing my job for, for me, Polly. Yes, <laughs> keep an eye on your podcast feed for, for that. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, and you know, it's not just experience in our team, we work closely with other specialist teams. So for example, we work really closely with um, our DC team. We've been developing a framework to talk to clients about members, about their member support strategy, um, because what we're seeing clients more frequently wanting to think about DB and DC members together. Um, and so we now have the framework called uh, the At Retirement Informed Member Service, where it's basically a, a way to bring all of the potential things you could do for your DB and DC members to support them together. Whatever team, our experience with helping clients really has been trying to help them juggle this risk prioritisation challenge that is the theme of the survey. So I think at the moment we're just seeing a lot of clients struggle with 
lots of things that they've got to do with not a lot of resource and basically how can they um, and how can clients use the limited resources that they have in the most effective way for their scheme and for their members. So one of the things that you you mentioned earlier, Polly, that I want to pick up on is those members at retirement. I suppose we're, we're at a point now, particularly in the DB pension scheme world, where quite a, a large proportion of the membership of those schemes will be moving to retire and be an at retirement member at some point in the short to medium term. What can schemes do to support those members at retirement? And if I could be cheeky and throw in a second question, which is, does that approach different? Would your recommended approach differ between smaller, larger schemes? Does scheme size have an impact? Uh, yes, yeah, so that's quite a broad question, um, and there's there's lots of schemes can do to support their members at retirement. But um, let me let me try and break it down. So, um, in the much higher yield environment that we're experiencing at the moment, um, most schemes are seeing fewer members transfer out. And so some of those schemes are focusing on how they can give members more flexibility within the scheme um, compared to what they might have got had they transferred to a DC arrangement. Um, and common ways they can do that is by um, introducing new options such as pension increase exchanges and bridging pension options, um, PIEs and BPOs is what we call them for short. And for anyone who's not familiar, a pension increase exchange is where where somebody exchanges their increasing pension for a higher non-increasing pension. And a bridging pension option is where someone retires before their state pension age. They receive a higher pension from when they retire to their state pension age. And then that pension steps down when they get to state pension age broadly by the amount of their state pension. And both of these options are really, really popular with members, um, mainly because they get more money in the short term. And that's been quite uh, popular, especially recently with cost of living crises that people have people have faced. And the options are also designed in a way so that they're also financially beneficial to the scheme. Um, particularly, they normally provide a saving on a buyout basis. Um, and then, yeah, as I mentioned to you earlier, um, whenever schemes are thinking about putting in these options, it's really important that they're also thinking about the support they're going to be providing alongside these options so that members are really, really clear about the financial implications of these these big decisions that they're making. Um, you also asked about how these um, thing whether we see any difference between scheme sizes. Um, and the short answer is yes, we do. Um, so normally when these options sort of first come into the market, we 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 see the bigger schemes kind of leading the way. Um, and, and we saw that with pension increase exchange when they were first offered. But given they've been in place for quite a few years now, um, this survey, we didn't really see any clear trend with scheme size for pension increase exchanges. Um, but bridging pension options, last survey, we only saw 12% of those schemes with those either in place or planning to put them in place. And again, yeah, those, those were generally the larger schemes. Um, and this survey, the 12% had increased to 30% um, and we're seeing sort of more mid-market schemes coming in, but it does generally tend to be the bigger, bigger schemes there too. So Polly, I've got some good news for you because somebody is coming to rescue you now um, from the island. Hopefully you've had a lovely time, um, but they've come and they've rescued you and it's your first day back and you've, you've come back to work and you're thinking about what is the first one big tip that you would give your clients based on 
everything that we've just spoken about. Cool. Thanks, John. Hopefully I've had a bit of time to uh, be able to see my family and have some dinner before I'm straight back to work. But You can definitely <laughs> have your dinner, Polly. You can definitely have your dinner. <laughs> I was thinking like a nice big roast would be it. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so back at work, I'd be thinking broad about member strategy as a whole. What, what do I want to do? And, and actually, even broader, we have an interactive game that we run with trustee boards where um, uh, it's, it's effectively a timeline with a end goal, which might be buyout or might be something else. And all we've got lots of little cards that, that trustees put on different points on the client timeline to basically think about all these things of do I want to do them? And if so, what order do I want to do them? And how do I prioritize them? And then we turn that into a plan. And that I think that kind of a high level game is where I'd be thinking first of let's just plan, get everything physically on the table and uh, and think about the kind of order and uh, priority of, of the different things. Um, it sounds like a fantastic way of addressing that risk prioritization challenge that is a, is a general theme of the, the report. So thank you so, so much, Polly. It's been great to speak to you. Um, for all of you listening, um, please do stay tuned. There are more episodes coming in this series of Desert Island Risks. Um, there's also a link in the show notes um, where you'll be able to download the survey and, and peruse it at your leisure. Um, if you do have any questions or comments or would like to discuss anything further, then please do contact your usual Aon consultant or see the details in the show notes. So we'll cast you all back home from the island for now. But thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>